We, though, are in Romans, and we, uh, we just made it into chapter 12 last week, and so we're going to pick up with verse 3 of chapter 12, and if you don't have a Bible, you can just follow there in the, in the order of worship. Have some of you ever had this experience where you, you started a new, a new job, and you're really ready to, like, start? I mean, I think especially if you've been through a, a season without work, um, or just you were just ready to get going with this thing, and then, then you get there, and you have to go through some long orientation process. Maybe it's the first day, maybe it's the first week, or some long training session, and just inside, you're, you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to start, I'm ready to go, and we're having to, to learn about the process, and learn about how this company approaches things, or whatever. Or uh, maybe you got back in the gym back in a sports club or whatever this year, and you signed up, and you signed up with a time with a trainer to hold you accountable, and you're thinking, okay, I'm ready to start. I want to get on a machine and push something or pull cables or do something. And, and that, you know, they're like walking me around the facility, and they're explaining what the machines do, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready, I'm ready to start. This, this part of the book of Romans, I think, can feel a little bit like that in the sense that if... if if you've been coming, and if you haven't, this is a quick catch-up. These first 11 chapters of Romans cover just, they're unbelievable. And through the history of the church, people have said, you know, every part of Scripture is important, but this is just such a masterpiece about the bad news about human beings and this unbelievably good news that God is offering to human beings, the good news that makes, makes it all right. Um, and it's just pretty much universal consensus that there's a real transition at the end of chapter 11 and then going into chapter 12, and it's as if Paul, and he didn't write it with verses and chapters, but since we use those markers, that he gets to that part and then says, therefore, and this is what Tim handled last week, is therefore, in light of all that, if that's true, if that's real, what kind of citizen does that make you? What kind of family member does that make you? What kind of neighborhood member does that make you? If, how does that affect your real life? And so we, we have been deep into doctrine for a year now. And now Paul's really getting into the, all right, the doing of the Christian life. And it may be that if you've been in this, listening to this series, you're going like, okay, let, let's go. But before he launches into specifics, he says, we've got to look at how you think. And it may be that we're wanting him to say, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we go out of here going, all right, I'm on, game, you know, game on. And he's saying, I want you to think about how you think. I want you to think about how you think. This is very like Paul to do this. So let, let's, let's see what he has to say. What, what kind of thinking is he... Be looking for that language of the thinking that leads to change in our lives. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank You for Your church around the world and thank You for the Bible. Thank You for the Bible translated in the language that we speak. Thank You for preserving it for us. Thank You that what Paul dictated and a man wrote down over whatever period of time it took, that it, it's, it's now with us in this room. And we want to handle this well. So wh- whether it's obstacles that we know or obstacles that we don't know that keep us from hearing you and opening up to you, would you take them away and use your word in our lives? And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, This week marks the one-year anniversary that Jimmy Fallon has headed up The Tonight Show. Can you believe that? That a year has gone by? First comedian that Jimmy Fallon had on The Tonight Show is Jerry Seinfeld. And I don't know if you saw the first episode or gone back and watched it on video, but Jerry Seinfeld, characteristically, very funny. And he started his bit talking about smartphones. And he, 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 he's talking to the studio audience and he says, but you know, everybody, they've got, we've got our phones so that we, we can be connected, right? Because it's the people that we're interested. We have these phones to stay connected with the people, right? And then he goes, really? And he said, why, why is it that we act like some kind of French king when we're going through our contact list of like, who pleases me today? Whom shall I favor? Whom shall I delete? And uh, he, like, you know, like most comedians, he's putting his finger on something that we may or may not want to see about ourselves. And, and what he's putting his finger on is that the way we do tech, the way we do smartphones, and a lot of what we do on smartphones, obviously, is social media, that it, it's, we're showing more than we meant to show. We're showing more about ourselves than we meant to show because it was billed as this will connect us, this is a way to communicate with each other, it's a way to keep up with what's going on. But the, you know, at, at the grassroots, the way we use it is that it's kind of all about me. It's like this post, this picture, this video, this tweet, really, it is only valuable in as much as I like it. If not, then I, I, if I don't like it, I, I move past it. It doesn't have value. <laughs> And that's something a lot older than social media. It's a lot older than newer technology. That was already in our hearts. And it, really, it's as if Paul is coming to us saying, now, you know, before we're going to talk about change, you know, we've got to talk about that. Like we, we've got to talk about the fact that the way, naturally, all of us do life is it's, now, he wouldn't have said movie, but it's almost like, we do life like life is a movie about me. And the other people are sort of supporting cast and crew and cameramen. 
but really they have value in as much as they help me out. But the movie ultimately is about me. Have you ever, has, has anyone ever made you feel that way? We call people narcissists when they do this to us. Not when they're around, you know, just behind their backs. But, uh, you know, we think of narcissists as that, that they treat us as if life is a movie about them and we're just supporting cast or crew. But have you ever been around a person like that and then come away going, am I doing that? Am I making the people around me feel that way? I hope not. But that's what comes naturally to us, is that this exists for me. The default mode is me. And Paul says, before we talk about specific Christian ways of doing your Christian thing in the world and with one another, we've got to talk about how you think. Not so much the data. You know, not so much just the information. But talk about the bent of your mind. Is the bent staying with what we naturally showed up with? Turned in on myself or can it go out? So he's going to ask us to think about thinking. So let's, let's think about it this way. First off, thinking about me. I mean, I'll just use the first person singular. Thinking about me and then thinking about us. Thinking about me and then thinking about us. Last week, Tim Udodge uh, started us into chapter 12. And, and the chapter starts with, Therefore, in light of God's mercies. I mean, this is actually Paul saying, all this just huge panoramic ground that I've covered. Since all that's true, therefore, how do you live? And it's, and it's this great passage. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't be molded into the world's mold. But rather, be transformed by the renewal of your... Remember what it was? Your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation. Now, that was verse 2. The very next verse starts our passage. Now, look at what Paul does in verse 3, coming right off that. He says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you... That this, this doesn't come through as clearly in the English, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but this is, you can, if you know anything about Greek, you can see this. In this little phrase in verse 3, he uses the think verb four times in one form or another. And here's how it comes out in the translation. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. There's four different think verbs in there. This is very Paul to do this. He does this in other letters. He's, he's actually already done this earlier in Romans. In chapter 8, he said, the mind that is set on we would say, what comes naturally to us. He calls it the flesh. Just my, the, my natural instincts, my natural default mode, my, my, uh, my reactions naturally. The mind that's set on that cannot please God. He's already giving us a head nod. It's the thinking that's affecting everything else. Now, thinking covers a lot of ground. He, here's what he hones in on. At one level, you've got to think about yourself. He doesn't say, never think about yourself. In fact, you can even take the phrase out there, you ought to think something about yourself. But here's what he wants you to not do and, and, and then do. 
Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Do think of yourself with what he calls sober judgment. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Um, I've mentioned this before, but whenever I... There's other verses in Scripture that say that. Be be sober-minded. Exercise sober judgment. And it always reminds me of a bluegrass song. You may not like bluegrass. I do. But there's a famous bluegrass song called Mountain Dew. And um, back before there was the soft drink, there was Mountain Dew. Uh, Some was made not too far from from here. And uh, made in stills, Mountain Dew's Moonshine. And I think it's the second verse of Mountain Dew says this. My Uncle Nort, he sawed off in short. He measures about four foot two. But he thinks he's a giant when you give him a pint of that good old Mountain Dew. That doesn't take explanation on my, on my part. And, and you've seen this before. You, I don't, you may have seen it, you know, at school or college or the party that went awry or something like that. Is, is uh, someone with too much alcohol loses a realistic sense of self and of physics, and of anatomy, and of physiology, and of courage. You know, they, they, they feel lion-hearted, and it just, it's not realistic anymore. Paul says, here's what, here's what I want for you in your thinking, is that you not think of yourself more highly than you ought. You've got to think about yourself. But think about yourself soberly. And the next thing he says in verse 3 He says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And some people would say that's the most disputed verse in this passage. Uh, One New Testament scholar, a brilliant guy, said there's about 70 different ways you can understand that phrase, and we're not going to walk through those right now. Here's here's the best I can do of just kind of a flyby. The New Testament doesn't really use the word Christianity. What it will talk about is the faith. It will use the article and say the faith, the Christian faith. And in the original, the faith has an article on it. Each according to the measure of the faith. And it seems, I think this is right, that Paul is saying all this stuff that we've talked about, all this stuff that I've written to you, is like a yardstick. The bad news and the good news are like a yardstick. Is that how you measure who you are and think about who you are or think about what you're responding to? You know, what, what is the bad news? What, what has Paul said in Romans? That our disobedience, our not loving God and not loving other people, maybe being very public about, oh, I love God, He's awesome, and not caring about our neighbor in any felt way, that that deserves His justice. That deserves His anger. It it richly deserves it. And it's not those bad people out there. Mine does. Ours does. And and there's no way to dig ourselves out of it. We can't say, okay, but God, I'm going to pile up these really good, commendable things I did. Doesn't Doesn't that amount for something? Look at my family. Look at what kind of worker I've been. Look at what kind of volunteer I've been. You cannot dig your way out of it. You can't dig out of the bad news. And God, when we could not rescue ourselves, when He would have been good and just and right to give us what we deserve, He makes possible what we do not deserve to receive what His Son deserves, what would be fair for His Son to get. And He says, 
You can't be righteous. I'll give you a righteousness. You can't make yourself clean. I'll make you clean. You can't make yourself my child. I'll adopt you to be my child. And it's like you've heard us summarize before. The Word of God says that we are more sinful than we ever imagined. And the older you get, hopefully the more clear that gets. All of us are learning more about that. But it's not just that you're more sinful than you imagine, but man, to, to believe in Christ and to be in Christ, you are more loved and liked by God and accepted by Him and restored and redeemed than you could have dreamt. It's beyond a best-case scenario. And Paul's saying, if that's the measuring stick of who you actually are and of reality, how do you think about yourself? Now, as I, you know, as I thought about, all right, so what are ways that we are thinking too highly of ourselves? My, just, you know, my brain's firing off about there's all kinds of ways that we're doing that all the time. There's all kinds of ways that we're more arrogant than we would like to let on. And we show our cards without meaning to. But in the context of what he's talking about, this would be one big application for sure. Is Because remember, he's not just writing a random sampling of people. He's writing a church. He's writing to Christians. One application would be this. Is for me to think of the, the church or my church is the worship service. Now, that doesn't sound that bad. That doesn't sound that sinister. But here's what's up underneath that is there's this service, and, um, you know, I'm okay with it, or maybe I really like it. And I, I like whatever. I like the group of people. I, I like the things they provide. I like the facility. I like the message. I like the music, whatever. Um. But as far as those people there, I, can, I, I will intersect with them as much as I choose to. Uh, I do not have to build myself into their lives, and I sure don't want them building themselves into my life. I'm already maxed out. I already can't keep up with the people that I know in my life. Uh, I will choose who really like my community is. Now, hear what I'm saying. Uh, I, I don't know of a local church in the world where every single member feels like every other single member is their bestest friend. I, I don't, if that church exists, I've never heard of it and I have no idea where it is. But what I'm saying is, up underneath that is us essentially saying, I will choose who I need. If I need anyone, I will choose who I need. I will set the term when the Scripture is just celebrating the fact that we need each other and that the church is not merely a worship service. Now, this is, in some ways, for us, our life together, this is kind of the high point of the week. I'm not saying it's the most, um, the most important thing you do in the sense of your work means nothing and this, and this is important and your job is not. No, but like this is kind of the high point of our life together. This is us really being ourselves. But when you join a church, you don't join a worship service. You join a group of people. 
A church is a group of people. All the groups of people are messed up. All the groups are full of people who are messed up. All churches must be that way or Romans wouldn't be true. Well, then let's think about us. Um, The very first chapter of the Bible, when God makes the first man and woman, here's what He says. Let This is God speaking within Himself. This is not God speaking to other beings. God says within Himself, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And the grammar there is just fascinating. Let us make man in our, plural, image, singular. This morning, you being here, simply because you're a human being, here's something that I know about you, is that male or female, as a human being, you're not made in the image of a generic God. You're made in the image of an us. You bear the image of an us. And what that means is, because of sin, because of what's off about our hearts, what's wrong with our hearts, We show up thinking, really, the real me needs me. And from Genesis 1, what you're seeing is the real me was made for and needs us. And I hate to use machinery lingo, but we're formatted for it. We're formatted to be an us. And did you notice, Paul says, all right, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Do think about yourself with sober judgment. And it's like the second he says that, think about yourself soberly. Use the measure of the faith. As soon as he says that, the passage starts using plurals. Look in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many are one body in Christ. Now, now, that's a big deal. But then listen to what he says here. And individually, we are members one of another. Now catch what he just said. He, he didn't just say, if you're a Christian, you Christian over here, and you Christian, you're a Christian, you're a member of the bigger body of Christ. And you Christian over here, you're a member of the body of Christ. That's true. But Paul is saying, as two believers who believe in the same Lord Jesus Christ, who've been brought into the body of Christ, it's not just that you belong to this big invisible thing, but you belong to you. And you belong to you. Amen. Think about how radical that would have been to say that in Rome to a Roman congregation. Think about, because there's already evidence in the letter to the Romans that it's multi-ethnic. Definitely you've got people who are ethnically Gentile, that's most of Rome, but also ethnically Jewish, probably different racial um, groups there. And Paul says, against the norms of Roman society, you, Gentile, belong to this Jewish believer. You, Jewish believer, maybe who feel like you've got to protect yourself from Gentile culture, you belong to this Gentile believer in Christ. 
Radical in the first century, radical in the 21st century. I mean, in our, let's say, in our life as a local church, in the life of downtown Presbyterian Church, what, if, if you are a member, what are the other members to you? How, how, how do we think about one another? And I'm not asking that to set you up for like some program thing you've got, got to do. What, what I'm asking you to think about is when you hear about, let's say, a need, or you see an email uh, regarding a need in the church, or you see a concern that someone in the church has, or you, or you find out bad news about someone in the church, what is happening to us as this room gets more full? I'm thankful this room has become more and more full. I mean, thank you, Lord. The concern would be that if there's more bodies in the room, that it diffuses responsibility and it diffuses a sense of there is an actual us. There is an actual we. And this may be old hat for you or it may be that this is, this is new to you, but when you join a church and when you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ... He doesn't just want Lone Ranger Christians out there. We join not only Him, we join one another. That we weep with those who weep. We laugh with those who laugh. On top of that, God gives gifts so that we can do that. And this is great. Look in verse 6. This is not the only place where Paul talks about this, but this is one of them. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now, these are gifts from God to believers. Uh, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, or you could translate that, the one who shares in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's what Paul's saying. The grace of God fuels ministering to each other. And I don't know if you caught this. Look back in verse 3, the beginning of the passage. Paul says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone. That's a way Paul talks about being an apostle. That Man, who would have thought I'd be a Christian? Who would have thought I would be an apostle? But God's grace found me. So I'm saying, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm speaking for Him... He says what he's going to say. But he uses that exact same phrase in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Spiritual empowering to do the things that Christ wants done in his body. Now, uh, I can't give this a lot of time. I've got to mention this in passing. The hardest one to understand in there is prophecy. Um, it's, this is quick it seems that in the New Testament, what you find are two kinds of prophecy. The first would be something like the New Testament parallel of an Old Testament prophet, someone who can speak for God to whomever's listening. Paul would have been a prophet, a New Testament prophet. John would be a New Testament prophet. Their writings are recorded in the New Testament collection, in the canon. There also seem to be in the New Testament, Book of Acts, a few other places, Prophets locally, we don't have their writings. They didn't really prophesy for other groups of people. 
They spoke God's will to a local congregation. Everything they said was to be checked against the Word of God. I would say we don't find that gift anymore with the closing of the New Testament canon. You may agree, you may disagree. I don't, I don't really, really want to focus there. I want to focus here. Have you ever identified, if you're a Christian, your spiritual gift? And this is not the only list of these gifts in the Bible. There's this one, there's 1 Corinthians 12, there's one in 1 Peter, a few little clues here and there. But have you ever figured out if you belong to Christ and to the church, what your gift is. And some believers have more than one gift. I don't know what, you know, I don't know what the cap is, but you can have more than one. When you identify it, now that might take time. You might have to sit with that. You might have to talk with people that know you. You may not see things about yourself. You may not see that you're really good at service. You may think, my gift is this thing over here, and everyone who knows you knows that you just constantly like give your life away. You've got the gift of service. Or uh, you don't know that you have the gift of mercy and people say, you, I, you think constantly about homelessness. You talk constantly about needs in the city. You talk about people who are under-resourced. It just oozes out of you. You've got the gift of mercy, I bet. Um, people come over to your house, come over to your apartment, and they feel loved and welcomed and cared about. You've got the gift of hospitality, which is so great. But as you realize these gifts, there's kind of two tracks you can go on. Uh, at least I've seen both of these a, a good bit. The first track is, okay, you, you look either in the church itself and you see a need or an opportunity, or maybe you look in the larger community, neighborhood, city, see an opportunity, and you see that you know, you're energized about this, this is your gift, you, you want to do something in this area, and then to look at the church and go, well, there's no program for that. I guess, I guess my church doesn't care about that. I guess, I guess my church doesn't value people who are gifted in this area. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. The second track, which the New Testament really commends, is that you look and you see an opportunity, and you see a need, and there's this gifting inside of you to somehow lean into it, beginning with the church. And ideally, you find other believers to lock arms with and address it. But whether you can find other believers or not, I think that is ideal when you can. You say, well, I'm going to do something. And you do it. You think, you think about the difference between someone who has the gift of mercy. Like, they are concerned about social justice. Whether it's cool or not, they care. Their heart beats for mercy. Whether it's cool or not, they care. And they look around and they feel like, somebody's got to tutor these children without parents. Somebody's got to tutor these children who have fewer resources. Somebody's got to do something. My church doesn't have a tutoring program. I guess no one cares like I do. I guess I'll do it. Sort of with a, you know, a lot, a lot of this. A fan, maybe. And you've got the text saying, the one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. But you really can, like, ha- are you doing this because you're angry at who all's not doing it? Or are you doing this because what has really touched you is, man, when I could not help myself, God helped me. And I don't mean God helps those who help themselves. I mean when I was dead, He helped me. 
He gave me life and reached down and loved me. How could I not extend that same mercy to others? And you're able to do it cheerfully. But that's so different than, well, I guess, I guess if no one else will do it, I'll do it. You can lead that way. I guess if no one will head up this committee, I'll do it. Dang it. Instead of with zeal. Uh, in this room, some of you have done that second version so beautifully. It's, it's, it's very humbling to me. Uh, it's humbling to me to watch many of you just see things and do things in your home, in your community group, in your neighborhood, behind the scenes at Downtown Prez, maybe folks here in other churches, that you see something and you know that God has shown His grace not just to save you but to empower you for ministry and you see things and you do it and it doesn't have to have a pastor's fingerprints on it. It doesn't have have the church's name on it. You do it in the name of Christ. That's when we're changing. That that is when we are not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Maybe reality is not just about me. Maybe reality is about us. Um, You know, I thought about... It can be hard to connect those dots. We're so me-oriented... Does me moving toward other people, other people moving toward me, does it really change? And I, I got a beautiful testimony of that happening just dropped in my lap. We, um, a friend of our church is Brent Webster. He's from the Greenville area, and he's, he's a campus minister with our denomination at the University of California, Berkeley. And when Brent sends out newsletters, he'll tell you how the ministry's going, but he'll, he'll include a separate page, and it's a student story about how God's worked in... in the student's life. And I want to end with this. This is uh, his most recent one. It's by a student named Eunice Choi. She's a senior at Berkeley. I won't read the whole thing, but here's a few parts. My name is Eunice Choi. I'm currently in my fourth year at UCAL Berkeley. I was introduced to RUF, that's the campus ministry, as an ext- at, at an extraordinarily low point in life. For a myriad of reasons, I had significant animosity towards the church. So I tentatively went to a large group, painfully swallowed the discomfort of being new and hoped someone would notice me. I wasn't just noticed, I was swept away with the warmth and kindness that met me. The promise of friendship and compassion for people like me who wanted to do nothing more than hate Christians who were happy. I tell you, two years ago, I would have told anyone to go to hell who tried to tell me about God. I have changed. Now I feel human. Limited love pouring out of me to those around me. Bitterness and anger no longer define me, although they are still very much there. I see that other people are like me. They yearn to be understood and loved completely, and I want to give what I can to them. And I, I, I reread this, and I felt like it just almost fell from heaven to demonstrate what this passage is about. That she shows up, and for, she doesn't say why, with a predisposi- predisposition to hate Christians. 
But God inclines her heart to go be around these Christians. It's not a local church, and it's a very select kind of group, you Cal Berkeley students. But she goes, and even with their problems, even with their sins, even with their shortcomings, they're Christian toward her. And the very thing that she was predisposed to hate is what God uses to change her. And so she looks up and says, I've changed. And what does that look like? And now I never get angry or bitter again. Did she say that? She said, it's still there. It just doesn't define me. And I want to start moving toward people who are just like me. They want to be seen and they want to be heard and they want to be cared about. And she said, I can show my limited love. Isn't that great? Because she experienced unlimited love. She experienced perfect grace. But in my limited, imperfect way, I can love. That's what change is. is to move outside of our own heads and imperfectly to think about the fact that there are other people. And there's this body. And that we're part of each other. And that God's given me gifts to love you and gifts for you to love me. That's what we were made to do. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are bent to just love ourselves and think about ourselves and fantasize about ourselves and dwell on ourselves, and if we pray, just to pray for ourselves. We thank you that you would send your Son not only to take away the punishment we deserve, but to set us free from the power of sin, to set us free, to open us up to live and be what you made us to be, to be people who love others, who love our brothers and sisters, who love our neighbors. Please do so. Would you change our lovelessness? Would you help us understand how you've gifted us to minister to your children and to the greater community? Change us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.